Well, Julie just prayed for us, help us to trust your unchanging love when life is hard. And that leads us right into this opening question that I have for us this morning. Do you agree with this statement? Life is not fair. I think most of us would say yes. There are many injustices in the world, and we as a people have experienced some of those injustices. One of the most unfair things that ever happened to my family happened when my parents tried to help a lady in trouble in our church. Let me remind you of the story. I came home from camp one summer at 16 years of age. And this lady in our church was staying in our home. She was in complete and total fear of her husband. He had admitted her to the psychiatric hospital in our town when he was the one who was mixed up. And when the doctors found out there was nothing wrong with her, they obviously let her go, but she was afraid to go home. So she called the pastor in our church to come and and get her out, and he was a brand new pastor. So he uh, called my dad and said, would you come with me? So the two of them went. Because he was brand new to our community, my dad did not want him to sign the woman out. So my dad said, I will sign her out and she can come and stay with us. Little did he realize, signing out that woman would bring the wrath of her husband down upon my dad. He accused my father of impersonating a minister. My dad worked for the Internal Revenue Service, so he sent a letter to the IRS accusing my dad of that, essentially trying to get him fired. Because my dad worked for the government, a full investigation had to take place before he could be exonerated. I'll never forget the day He came home with the letter. After the full investigation, he had been cleared of all charges. What a happy day that was. And so, obviously, that ended it, right? About 15 years later, this same man sweet-talked his way into the heart of a widow that I was the pastor of. I pled with her not to marry him. I said, he's no good. She was fully taken in by him. She invited me and another pastor to come over to their home for a meeting. At the table, I remember it so vividly, this man said, 15 years later, your father broke up my marriage. And he quoted a verse of scripture. I was shocked, shocked. She was fully taken in by him. Then as I left with the other pastor, he said to me, I think he's just a hurting man. I want to tell you I felt absolutely powerless to clear my dad's name. Six months later, she had to get a restraining order against him. She said to me, he is exactly what you said he was. 
Now, I really felt sad for what that woman went through. But I have to tell you, I have never felt so relieved in all of my life to see someone exonerated who I loved very dearly. Let me ask you this morning, have you been slandered or mistreated in some way? Have you? Maybe you are still waiting for justice. Maybe the pain that you have experienced has not been relieved. You know what somebody said about this issue of life is not fair? This is what Charles Sykes said, who is a radio talk show host in Milwaukee. He said, life is not fair, get used to it. Is that the best we can do? Just resign ourselves to it? I want to say to you this morning, Christians have a much better option. Christians can pray. And this morning, we are coming to the final series in this series we've been doing in the Psalms, How to Have Confidence in Crises. And today, I want to come to a chapter in God's Word that all of us at some point in our life are going to need. And that is how to pray when life is not fair. Now in this message, what we're going to discover is three truths that we have to believe when life is mistreating us. And I want you to take a moment and bow with me in prayer and let's ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word. Father, thank you today for the wonderful truth that Julie prayed about earlier that we can trust your great and good love in the times when life is hard. You have not always promised to level the playing field. You have not always promised to exonerate us from the wrongs that we have suffered. But you have told us some wonderful things about yourself that can help us when we come to you in prayer. Help us now, Lord, today to hear them and learn them. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let's open our Bibles, shall we, to Psalm 7. And I want to look together at these truths that we ought to believe when life has been unfair to us. Let's open with verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 7. And notice what the Lord says. David is writing, and you'll notice this was a psalm that he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, who was a Benjamite. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. Now let's just pause right here and notice this first truth that we are to believe. This is what God wants you to believe. Believe that your powerful deliverer is none other than the Lord, your God. Now let's understand the circumstances behind this psalm. Psalm 7 was written when David was fleeing from King Saul who wanted to kill him. You remember God had anointed David king, and wow, this was great. He had been a shepherd, and now all of a sudden he is being told, you're going to be the next king of Israel. But wait, David, wait. 
Even though you're anointed king, it's going to be eight years before you take the throne. In the meantime, you are going to be hunted and pursued like a wild animal by an insanely jealous, maniacal king. Now, this Cush, whom David mentions at the beginning of this psalm, the Benjamite, he was probably one of Saul's loyalists who slandered David, thereby fueling Saul's rage. You know what people were saying today about David during this time? He was a conniver. He was a manipulator. He was an assassin. It was a total pack of lies because David was one of Saul's most loyal subjects. But David felt completely at the mercy of these character assassins. He describes them in verse 2 like lions tearing his very life apart. Uh, Let me just say to you today, if it's been a while since you have seen a pack of lions attacking a water buffalo, just let me refresh your memory as to what that is like. This is how David felt. Alone, savaged, hunted down, betrayed, and helpless. As you read the story, Saul had 3,000 soldiers. David had 600 men. It was an odds of five against one. And let me say to you, There was no government letter coming in the mail to exonerate David's character. Let me just share with you this morning the three problems that come with slander. If you have ever been unfairly accused or slandered, you know exactly what I'm talking about. First of all, the problem with slander is, if it's not true, you can't repent. How can you repent of something that you did not do? Have you ever tried to disprove a negative? It's impossible to do. Second problem with slander is some will believe it no matter how innocent you are. And therefore, no matter what you do, there are some people you cannot convince of the truth. And then the third thing about slander is it casts a long shadow. Sometimes it can ruin your career, or it can keep you under a cloud of suspicion for years and years and years. If you've experienced any of this, you know exactly how David felt. Now, what do you do? What do you do? Well, I suggest to you this morning that just getting used to it will not help, right? I suggest just saying life is not fair, get used to it, won't help. The pain that you're going through needs an answer. And so what did David do? David prayed. David prayed. Notice how in verse 1 he opens by saying, O Lord my God... Oh, Yahweh Elohim. 
This is the first time in the Psalms that these two names for God are brought together. In fact, notice David uses them again in verse 3. O Lord my God, O Yahweh Elohim. The first time now these names are brought together in the Psalms. God, as you know, Elohim is my powerful creator. Yahweh is God's covenant name only given to believers. When David says, Yahweh, my Elohim, he is referring to the intimacy that he has experienced as a believer with God. You see, as Christians, we all have intimacy with God, and therefore we have this amazing privilege to draw near to him. Now notice when we do that, what we discover here in Psalm 7 is that God is our refuge. That was a term that was used of a cave, where a person might find shelter from a storm that was passing through. Uh, What is very interesting about this, when David says, Yahweh Elohim, in you do I take refuge, the tense of the verb take refuge is in the perfect tense, thus it refers to a past relationship that he entered into that now has permanent results. So that he is declaring, when we believe in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we become a believer, God now becomes our refuge at all times. Brothers and sisters, can I say to you this morning, this is not foxhole religion that David is talking about. This is not, Lord, get me out of the trouble that I'm in. And then I will serve you, and when the trouble passes, we forget all about the commitment that we have made to God. No, that is not what's going on here at all. This is the prayer of a believer who knows, I'm in an intimate relationship with God because I have come to know Him personally by faith. Therefore, God is always at every time my refuge. I like what the Bible teacher Herbert Leupold says at this point. Why is this so important? The Lord cannot forsake the one who has made him their refuge. God cannot forsake the one who has made him their refuge. Let me ask you this morning. Can you affirm that? Can you say there has been a time in my life when I have come to the Lord and, and I've believed? I put my trust in Him in the past and, and I became a Christian. And now today, because that's true, I can affirm, you are my Yahweh Elohim, therefore you are my refuge at all times And even though in light of what I'm going through, I can draw near to you and I know you will not forsake me. That is the heritage of every single Christian. I've shared this with you before. Years after that experience with the man who tried to get my dad fired, my dad would see him in the store. And when he would see him, he would walk up to him, reach out his hand to shake that man's hand. And I would say to my dad, why do you do that? You know what he thinks about you. You know what he tried to do to you. You you know that he tried to get you fired. 
My dad would respond in this way. I didn't do him any wrong. So why should I not be friendly to him? And sometimes I would want to say to my dad, at least you ought to be better. Why do you have to set, set a good, good example for me? Stop it! Stop it! But you see, when Yahweh Elohim is your refuge, you have great peace. And when you have great peace, you do not need to be bitter, nor do you need to be afraid. What a wonderful God we can come to. Amen this morning? Amen. Secondly, when we have been treated unfairly, believe you must pray in authenticity, not hypocrisy. This is the second critical truth as we come to prayer. Would you look with me at verse 3 through 5 and notice what David says. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Now this is a lengthy protest by David of his innocence, and we have to ask the question, why in the world does he do this? He even takes an oath here in verses 3 to 5. He says, if I am not innocent, let me pay the price. Lord, if I did what they are saying about me, don't let me get away with it. Why does he pray like this? Well, there are two verses of Scripture in the Bible that David knows that are the key to understanding why it is that he prays so strongly here and protests his innocence and says, if I'm guilty, may, may I not get away with it? Let me ask you to read the first verse with me. It is Psalm 66 and verse 18. Please read this with me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now this is one of the most important verses on giving us conditions for answered prayer. The word regard here means to cherish. It has the idea to look upon with pleasure or favor. It means to enjoy what God hates. Now, obviously, we cannot pray to a God and ask for His help if we are enjoying or pursuing what He hates. That is hypocrisy. So very clearly here in our life, the Lord is saying, if there is hypocrisy in our life and we are asking God for help, but at the same time, uh, we're pursuing something that is opposed to His perfect will, God is not going to answer a prayer like that. Let's look at another verse that is a critical verse for the issue of answered prayer. This is Proverbs 28.13. Would you read this verse with me? It is so very important. Join me. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. 
One Bible teacher has said about this how important it is that we are open and honest both with the Lord and with ourselves. You see, God is open and honest with us. If we conceal our sins, we block His help. So if we are partially or fully to blame for the trouble that we are in, it is very clear what God is saying. We must deal with it. We must face it. We must be honest about it. Now, when we do, God is a very, very forgiving God. We are going to learn later on in this psalm that He grants mercy to those who confess their sins to Him. But here's what David is saying. God cannot, yea, He will not help us if we conceal or if we pursue that which is wrong. Do you know, they say that no one is ever guilty in prison. I'm sure you heard that. Many prisoners uh, all uh, often have excuses why it's not their fault that they're in prison. Yet I've not met a prisoner yet who didn't want to be prayed for. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. One of the prisoners that I appreciated the most was a man by the name of Willie. Willie would lead the second service on Sunday night. When I'm there as I was last week, I I preached twice. And in the second service, Willie would lead that second service. One day right in chapel over here at the Marquette Branch Prison, Willie said this. He said, I'm guilty. I did what they said I did. He said, I deserve to be here. I thought, bless you, Willie. Bless you, Willie. There is real hope for you. There's hope for you. You see, God loves to help us when we come clean. We cannot come to a God who says, I'm your refuge. No matter how you're suffering, I'm your refuge. And then we come in hypocrisy and not in authenticity. That will never, ever work. And so David says, yes, believe God is your powerful deliverer. You have to believe that. But you have to come authentically. If you are partially wrong or fully wrong, and that's why you're suffering, you face that and you deal with it. God will forgive. And then He will help you from that day forward. Now there's a third truth we have to believe as we come to God. Thirdly, We have to believe that God is just despite the evil that we experience. Do you believe that? Do you today by faith believe that God is just even though you may be experiencing evil? 
Many people reject the Bible and they reject the gospel because they cannot square evil with God's justice. When it's very personal and it touches you, it's even harder. This past week, I reviewed a conversation that was put in a magazine with one of the leading New Testament scholars in the world today, a man by the name of Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman was a pastor of a Baptist church in New Jersey. His sermons were broadcast over the radio. Other scholars whose names are well known in New Testament scholarship listened to his sermons. Bart Ehrman came to a place where he could not square the evil in the world with the justice of God. You know what he is today? He's an atheist. By the way, this is growing in our world today. Just yesterday, my wife overheard a conversation. A lady said to another lady, God bless you. The lady she said that to said, well, I don't really believe in God. I'm an atheist. The woman who said, God bless you, said, well, I guess really I'm an atheist too. This is growing today. What is your answer for this issue? If you've never wrestled with this, you will wrestle with it. And if you haven't wrestled with it personally, you will know people, loved ones, who have. Now let me read for you what Bart Ehrman said as to why he stopped preaching the gospel over the radio in a Baptist church in New Jersey and now is a total atheist, in fact, doing everything he can to overthrow the Christian faith. Listen to his words. I don't believe in God. If it's true that God is a God who intervenes, He intervened for the Exodus, He intervened for the salvation of Christ, He intervened for the apostles, He does miracles, He helps people, He answers prayer. If that's true, why is it that it doesn't seem to be? What's your answer to that question? Do you know Psalm 7 is one of the greatest answers in all the Bible to the problem of evil and the justice of God? And this morning, what are the takeaways from this message? Well, the takeaways are the lessons here we learn about God's justice in the midst of our evil. Now, there are four of them. I want to give all four of them to you, and then we'll just take a few moments to look at the verses and see what David is saying, all right? So, here is the answer to God's justice and the problem of evil in our lives. First of all, God's justice is certain, though it is delayed. Look at verse 6. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you like in a court case. Over it, return on high like a judge taking his seat. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. Now, it is very clear here that David wants justice now. 
He is calling on God to act speedily in his case. Now remember, he had been promised he would be a king. Yet he's had to run for his life for eight years. He's tired of this misrepresentation and being hunted down. Now, we don't know what point during that eight years he wrote this psalm, whether it was near the beginning or near the end, but it is very clear David wants his enemies stopped. You ever prayed that way? Recently, I was with somebody who prayed, Oh, Lord, stop ISIS. Don't we often feel that way? David is struggling with the delay of God's justice. Did you notice what David does not do? He does not question the justice of God in spite of delay. Look what he says. Verse 6, God is angry with all wrongdoing every day. God is not indifferent. He's not passively standing by. Verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. God is angry with all wrongdoing every day. Notice he says God's judgment will be all-inclusive. Verse 8, The Lord judges the people. People who thought they were going to get away with it, they will not get away with it. Notice verse 9, God has all the facts. David describes him as you who test the minds and the hearts. God has every single fact. Nothing has escaped his notice. And God's judgment then will be entirely just. He says at the end of verse 9, O righteous God. Can we affirm that today? God's justice is certain though it is delayed. Notice the second truth we have to take with us. God's justice is delayed so that we may repent and be saved. Look down at verse 12. If a man does not repent. Isn't that interesting? What David is telling us is that God wants people to repent and to turn to Him. This is very much like what we read in 2 Peter 3.9 in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul says this, um, God is not slow about His promises as some people count slowness. But God is long-suffering towards all, wanting all to repent and to come to the knowledge of the truth. David is saying here in verse 12 that God wants people to repent. That's why he is delaying. And notice in verse 10, when people do repent, God saves the upright in heart. Do you know that expression, upright in heart, is the same word that means pure in heart? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 8? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, there's only one person who's ever been totally pure in heart. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the psalmist here says, you save the pure in heart, nobody meets that standard. But because Jesus was perfectly pure in heart, 
God sent him to pay for our sins on the cross, and the judgment of God fell upon him. Now the Bible says, all who repent and believe can be shielded with God. Did you see that in verse 10? My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Why does God then delay his judgment? It is so that you and I may repent and be saved. I was not saved till I was a teenager. I grew up in my church, knew all the stories, could quote a lot of Bible verses. Today can sing the songs by heart. But I took nothing seriously. I was a church member, baptized, but I was lost. And then as a teenager, God broke into my life, got my attention, and I was wonderfully saved. I am so glad God waited for me. So glad. So glad that that He delayed His judgment and waited for me. That's why God delays. Now notice a third truth we have to bank on. God's justice happens now actively and passively. In verses 12 and 13, David describes God's active judgment. Notice what he says. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. The tenses in these verses speak of a judgment that is already in process, a judgment that is ready at every moment, at any moment. This is what we call the active judgment of God. Sometimes God intervenes and He judges people in history. The flood, the ten plagues, The destruction of the Canaanites by the Israelites. All of those were the active judgment of God. In fact, do you know here the very things that David describes about God's intervention happened to King Saul? Twice in the record in 1 Samuel, King Saul took a spear, threw it at David, and tried to kill him. You may remember the last chapter of 1 Samuel, the climactic battle that Saul had with the Philistines. He was hit with an arrow, mortally wounded. Because he did not want to fall into the hands of his enemies, he fell on his sword and committed suicide. The very thing that David says here, God will wet his sword, he will make his arrows fiery shafts, Those same things happened to Saul in his active, in God's active judgment. There have been at least three occasions in my life when I have wondered if God actively judged people with death. What happened to them was of such a nature, and I was intimately involved with their life, that I later said to Ellen, I wonder if God intervened with judgment and took their life. I do not know. 
but I wondered. God sometimes does that. But then notice, God also actively, passively judges people today. Would you look at verse 14? Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. What the Lord is saying here is sometimes he lets the consequence of sin take its course in a person's life. This is the passive judgment of God by letting their sin judge their lives. All of us were shocked just a few months ago when drug dealers out of Manistique burned alive three people who had crossed them in a car in Gladstone. Do you know the alleged mastermind of that whole scheme was a young woman from Manistique whose grandmother is a devout Christian? It's amazing to hear that. Now, all of us know that ISIS is setting fire to people. And here we have a woman in our own upper peninsula who masterminded the same type of thing. That's how evil that was. And you know that very recently, she hung herself in her jail cell. And as I read this, I thought it is an exact description of what David is saying. She conceived, verse 14, a a wicked plan against others. She dug a pit for them. But then her mischief returned upon her own head, and violence descended upon her own skull. The evil that she plotted for others, ultimately she perpetrated on her own self, Because she could not live with the consequences of her own sin, she destroyed her own life in despair. And sometimes God will passively allow people to be judged by their own sin. And so what must we understand? God's justice is is certain, even though it is delayed. The reason God delays that justice is He wants us to repent and be saved, and I'm grateful that He delays. But make no mistake about it. Even today, God actively and passively judges people. Now here's the final takeaway. God's justice is cause for thanks and praise. I love how this psalm ends, verse 17. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to His righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Say, one day evil will be dealt with forever in God's time and in God's way. And David knew that that day was coming, and he found joy in it. But there's an even greater reason for us to rejoice in the justice of God. Because God is just and we are not, He devised the plan of salvation. 
He satisfied his own justice by punishing his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the Bible says in Romans 3 and verse 6, God is now able to be the just and justifier of all who believe in Jesus. And because God is just, we now have a Savior we can praise forever and ever. I will give thanks to the Lord due to His righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. A few years ago, while my dad was still living, we learned that his nemesis had died. Where is he today? He's facing the justice of God. My father died in total peace and tranquility. The last seven months of his life dying of a gay green poison were some of the most wonderful months we ever had with him. What a difference. What a difference when Yahweh Elohim is your refuge. What a difference. Brothers and sisters, we do not need to be bitter. We do not need to be afraid. We never need to be vengeful. Not when we have a God in whose hands we can place our lives. Amen this morning? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious Lord, I pray today for my suffering brothers and sisters. Lord, I know some of their pain, some I do not. I know people, Lord, from my ministry in the past who have turned from God because they could not arrange the evil they experienced with the God they heard preached about from the pulpit. And we always face that temptation. Father, I pray today that we will believe who you are, what you are, and that you have your purposes. Someday, you will take your seat. You will right all the wrongs. We will be vindicated. 
and we will rejoice that what we believed about God was indeed true and right. And so I pray today that you will encourage us, help us to trust you, help us to flee to you, help us to maintain our integrity, and to know that you will not fail us. We love you, Lord, today. For Jesus' wonderful sake, amen.